Employment discrimination is illegal and takes many forms. Religion. Race. Workers' compensation claims. Gender. Age. Disability. If you believe your employer has illegally fired or retaliated against you, contact us. Protecting your employment rights. Why we do what we do. The Law Offices of Stephen New. I don't care if this hurts you, Raven. I don't care if it hurts you, Tommy. Because I promised the world that tonight the truth would be told. Mr. Douglas, are you there, sir? I am here. First of all, apologies to everybody, all the listeners. I had to take a week off with you know, some personal family business, and uh, the back now, ready to roll. Well, that is great. I am glad you're ready to roll, but we have got to just start this off talking about the fact that you and Ric Flair can't figure out if you've buried the hatchet or not. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so I know that, you you don't know anything about this. All right, so no, no. I've heard Ric Flair say that, you know, he doesn't have any problem with you. And then I've heard him talk a bunch of crap about you. And I've heard you say that you hate Ric Flair. And then I've also heard you say that you don't hate Ric Flair. And I've also heard you say that it's all over and the, the hatch is buried. Then I've heard you right after that talk a bunch of crap about him. So the other day, he's on a boat with Chris Jericho, of course, the uh, cruise of Jericho. And he talks about you for no reason. No one even asks him about you. And he brings you up as a reason why he hated WCW. And he says your name and says, I doubt anybody here even knows who I'm talking about, which was such (laughs) a jab to you. And then he goes on to say that he had to put you over and no one else had to put you over and he didn't understand it. And it was, stupid and people don't even know who you are. And I mean, it was, and it was pointless. It was as if he brought you up for no, I've never seen him bring you up out of the blue ever before without somebody asking him about you specifically, but he did on this cruise in front of a bunch of people and Jericho aired it on his, uh, his podcast. That's how I heard well, it. For somebody, for somebody that the fans don't even know who, who I am, that nobody seems to run a lot of space in the Nathan Boyd's head, doesn't or I should say Richard Flair's head. I'll keep reminding of his real name because he seems to have forgotten who he really is. 
in, in full disclosure, my name's Troy Martin. I'm not really the franchise Shane Douglas. Hate to live doubt out there. And his name is Richard Flair. It's not the nature boy, Rick Flair. But, you know, I, I'm going to correct on something. I don't think you've ever heard me say in recent years that I hate Rick Flair. No, not I recently. Yeah, I'll say euphemistically when we're having a private conversation, you know, sort of joking like backhandedly. But to me, we had put that heat behind us a long time ago. You know, quite frankly, I don't think of Rick Flair very often, not for any good or bad reason. He just don't write very high in my head on things. You know, I've got more important things to do, like laundry, my hair, clip my nails. But I have real life to take care of. And, you know, just like I said last year, whenever he had, you know, fallen seriously ill or was placed in a medical coma, what I had retweeted out at that time was from the heart. I've seen enough people in this business die. I don't want to see anybody else die, let alone a legend like Rick Flair. So, you know, that was heartfelt. Some people have class, and some people dress up in expensive clothes and pretend to have class. You know, to me, it's sort of a, a sad thing that at the very point of his career, where he could have passed the torch, he chose steadfastly not to. Go back and review his uh, whole thing when he did with uh, Pillman, when he pulled Pillman in close to him. Was that meant to elevate Brian, or was that meant to keep Brian at a certain level? Uh, go back and look at what he did to Steve Austin. Go back and look at what he did to Mick Foley. Uh, and how many, Tom Jank, I mean, the list goes on and on of guys that were there, young guys that were there, ready and necessary to be pushed up to the next level. The one guy that could have done it chose not to do it because of some misguided desire to try to hang on to glory. I saw Rick several years ago, and Moose can describe this, this to you, <clears throat> walking down the hall. It was at the WrestleCon that was held uh, outside of San Francisco. He was walking down the hall with two fairly young girls. I'm going to say early 20s, mid-20s best. Two very attractive young ladies walking down the hall. And you could see they sort of felt he had his arms around both of them. You could see like, the look on their face. They were a bit uncomfortable. But hey, they're walking down the hall with a wrestling legend, right? So, But Rick was portending it to everybody that was looking that, hey, I've got these two young babes. I'm going to go do whatever I want with these two young girls. And I looked at, at Moose and I said, is that not one of the creepiest things you've ever seen? And and he just started laughing. He wanted to get a picture of me and Rick together. I said, there's no fucking chance in hell of you getting that picture. You know, it, it, to me, it's sort of sad. Like we've, we all had those years when we were on top. And we all drew a lot of money. And we all had fun doing it. But there's a point when you need to, like, move beyond that. Like, to me, Rick Flair could be the ultimate. The penultimate elder statesman of professional wrestling. <laughs> he's choosing to try to pretend he's still Space Mountain. And, you know, it, it's just, it's creepy and odd. You know, maybe he hasn't, you know, gotten an update on the whole Me Too movement and, you know, the whole uh, thing with rings being taken down and everything else. It just seems to be a strange place to try to pretend you're still at. You know, at some point, you know, I, I would hope that Ric Flair would realize and he could be that elder statesman to wrestling instead of trying to figure out how to try to pretend that you're Space Mountain. It's just sort of a pathetic thing when you look at it from the outside looking in or you know him like we do. But you know, I said a long time ago, I've, you know, I've moved way beyond uh, that, that heat with, with Rick. You know, again, you know, and I'm not trying to be condescending. He just doesn't rank very high in my head as far as priority to things I have to get done on a day-to-day -day basis. But if I, if I rent that much space in, in, in his head, 
I think that's more telling than anything else that, that I could say or you could bring up or or any fan could think about the situation. Clearly, one of us rents a lot of space and the other one's there. <laughs> okay, so do you see what you did there? What you did there is you started out and you said, you know, I've, I haven't said that I hated Ric Flair. You haven't heard me say that I hated Ric Flair in a long time. And I agreed with that. And then you went straight into this promo that makes me think that whoever you're talking about, which happens to be Ric Flair, is someone that you fucking hate. <laughs> and, then, no. and then you I ended it with know. my heat with Flair's over. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not hatred. Again, you know, to hate somebody, you've got to think about them quite often. And I think one of the people you're describing in this conversation does that, you know, which I think is sort of funny for somebody that's a nobody. And Rick Flair said it seems that that somebody uh, that rents a lot of space in his head. You know, I just, you know, find it sort of comical, the dichotomy. Well, it's definitely comical. The whole situation's comical because I, I just can't believe that he brought you up out of nowhere. It just came out of nowhere and no one even asked him about you. And he was like, today I'm going to talk shit about Shane Douglas. And that's what he did. Well, with his Alzheimer's match, it probably popped into his head that day, part of some 25-year-old uh, memory, and he decided to talk about that. <laughs> so I've got to talk about something else. Like we get it. We, we, you know, like I, the same offer I gave him 25 years ago, we can have a debate anytime you'd like. You know, I feel fairly confident I can hold my own with Rick. Uh, it, it just is what it is. Like I said earlier, one of us uh, has class, and the other one wears expensive leather shoes. Okay, moving on, I've got to talk about something else before we get into the topic for today, and that is that my worst nightmares came true and Goldberg became the fucking champion. <laughs> Look, on, on paper, this, you know, everybody knows I've said it a million times publicly. I've got a ton of respect and, uh, you know, what I would consider a friendship with Bill. I mean, we're not closest to friends because, you know, we don't run in the same circles. But uh, we've always got along very well. So the things that I'm going to say are simply from a purely booking standpoint. Let's start with the very basics. What does WWE need right now more than anything? Story. Story, and they need stars to be able to carry those stories out. Well, those stories Why will make the stars. Yeah, what comes first, chicken or the egg? But you have to have the stars in the first place or, or a talent in the first place to be able to carry that ball up. But they've got more so, talent I mean, than anybody could ever dream of having. Like, you have everybody. True. Why? What do you mean? They've got all the talent they need, don't they? Well, well, they, well they do, but have they made – which one – who's the last person that you could say, I'm going to steal a line from Stone Cold Steve Austin, but Vince McMahon wants to use whoever will strap a rocket to your ass. Who's the last person you could argue in, in, with intelligence he strapped the rocket to their ass? I mean, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose before he left. Rockets their asses? I wouldn't say strap rockets their asses. He Those tried. In, Seth, in, Seth, in Seth's case and in uh, Moxley's case, they were already over when they came in from the Independence team. Sort of like the AJ Styles mark. They were already over from their previous stint around the business. And, you know, he sort of just jumped onto that. I mean, that really shoots you through the roof. You know, almost shoves down your throat. Roman, I, you, you might be able to argue, but I would say the last one that he's done successfully would be John Cena. For sure, John and Cena. And that's been, what, 20-plus years ago. Uh, the one thing that the WWE right now, more than anything, is in desperate need of is stars that can draw the house. There's a reason why every year at WrestleMania, you see 
you know, the Hulk Hogan's and the Ric Flair's and the Mick Foley's and the Shawn Michaels and the Clicks and all the rest of the guys. Because Vince doesn't have the belief, and I think he's right, that the younger names on the card can carry WrestleMania. That's on him. You know, keep in mind, this is a work industry. So we're only limited, like I've always said in my career, we're only limited by what we can create in our heads. So if you as the boss, much like TNA did when they dropped the ball in the Naturals, if the Naturals didn't get over, that was on us as a booking committee. That was on us as a company. Those kids certainly didn't decide, I'm going to go out and keep doing jobs, even after we've been pushed in this storyline to a certain point. The same thing holds true for WWE. On paper, you could look at that and say, that's not a good way to go. The fans will tell you that's not a good way to go. You know, Bill Goldberg is what Bill Goldberg is. He's, you know, always going to get that, that reaction from the crowd because of the, the, the huge WCW push he had, excuse me, back in the 90s. But I would argue that The Fiend was probably, Bray Wyatt was probably the first character they've had since John Cena that was able to carry, hold on to that rock strap to his ass and carry that into drawing money. And they've, they've missed on that. Now, they already have Bray, if I'm, you know, going by what I read, I don't watch it, but they already have uh, The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, Boss Angle, with John Cena, correct? Yeah, for and, WrestleMania. Yeah, and Goldberg going another direction. Goldberg's going with Roman Reigns. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's, all of it has question mark rates on it. Is it going to work? Do the fans really want to see John Cena versus The Fiend? I would think that the few fans that are remaining watching that show, compared to 20 years ago, that they would love to see the team get a shot back at his height and get the belt back. And maybe they have some some idea to, to draw these storylines together someplace in the future. I would contend that they shouldn't have done it in the first place. So, you know, you don't vote to set up for failure. On paper, that, that was a loser from the beginning. You know, the, the one bright spot, you know, as much as you can call it that, in the young stars in their locker room, the theme, Brave, was clearly that. And, you know, so now they've done this and, you know, got them off in a different direction. The fans will clamor at some point down the road for him to go back against Goldberg and to get his title back. You know, A, you have to ask questions, the wisdom of whether that's or not, that's where, where the WWE is really going because right now I see there's no guarantee of that. You know, my experience in paying attention to their booking for the last several years is typically what doesn't make sense is what they'll do, and, and that's much different than a swerve, you know. So, to me, it looks like from outside looking in, it looks like booking by throwing darts against the wall to see what what lands where, and that's never a good way to go, especially when you see all the confluence of things that are going on right now. As we head to WrestleMania, this is typically historically the big time of year for them, and now we hear rumors that Mania may be canceled, and we've seen other sports uh, entities around the globe canceling live audiences and things like that with this whole coronavirus panic overblow. I think it's all hype trying to get people talking because I cannot, for the life of me, imagine Vince McMahon canceling the biggest day of his year. Right. Uh, and his stock is already in the, in the cellar. If they would cancel WrestleMania, I mean, I, I can only imagine where that would send the stock. Well, I mean, we see you know, Vince so McMahon might. not cancel WrestleMania when the president asked him to. We've seen Vince McMahon continue events that things happened at that event that you would never think anyone would continue the event, and he continued the event. I don't think coronavirus is going to shut down WrestleMania. Okay, now, here's the curveball. That discussion earlier today. With the way the media has overblown this, uh, in Pennsylvania, we have six confirmed cases of the coronavirus. We have 13 million people in Pennsylvania. Guess what? 
talked about nonstop on local media today. You know, you would think that like 98% of the population had it. It's just a matter of time before you get it. It's overblown. Should we be paying attention to it? Absolutely. Should it be the top story constantly, 24 hours a day being beaten over the head with it? Uh, if you go back, comparatively speaking, and look at like the SARS virus when it came out, killed over a thousand people. And the media still was barely talking about a thousand people in this country. So, you know, it's all put in perspective. Now, with that being said, moving back to WrestleMania, if Vince McMahon would go ahead and hold it, especially the way the media has blown this thing out of proportion, if you walked in there with your son or your mother or father, it seems like it's striking elderly more more frequently and more harshly than it is younger people. If one of them came down with the coronavirus afterwards and God forbid something horrible would happen, might you be able to find a lawyer somewhere in the country to say the WWE is responsible? They knew that large gatherings of people, especially that many people, and that confined of a place when all these other sports entities have canceled live, live crowds at their events. My guess would be you could probably certainly find a lawyer that would take that case on. So as a publicly traded company, it's almost like a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. I don't believe he's going to cancel WrestleMania. I don't either. But I see a lot of people talking about that possibility. And the and, idea of someone you know, being able to sue Vince McMahon for, for getting coronavirus at WrestleMania is absurd to me. Well, it is to me too. But again... If the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA or NHL start canceling live crowds, I just saw yesterday one of the overseas soccer entities, I believe, had canceled live crowds at some point. If you can show that these other places took those back, I would think it'd be equally unlikely that you could sue if I went to an NHL game and came down with coronavirus. But if you can show the pattern that all these other leagues, major League took this proactive approach, and you didn't. I came down with coronavirus. You know, I think it, again, we're, we're talking insane levels here because I don't think there's to me the coronavirus as of right now is much to do about nothing. We have 550 some cases in the United States of America, a country of 329 million plus people. That wouldn't be the drop and the drop and the drop and the drop and the drop of the bucket, and yet turn on your TV tonight, turn on your computer, pick up the newspaper. You'd think that like the apocalypse is truly upon us. I, I responded to something on Twitter, which I rarely do, but there was a, a medical doctor online today, you know, screaming about this, about something the president tweeted out. And, the, and the, what was the phrase he used? We are, we're a nation engulfed in coronavirus. So I quickly went to Webster and looked up what the term engulfed means, and it's doesn't seem to apply to 500 people out of 319 million people, but you know that or 329 million people. That's where we are now. You know, being a publicly traded company, something the size of WWE has got to start to look at what the other leagues are doing. And I would think that if you start to see, as unlikely as it sounds, if you start to see the NHL canceling a live audience, live crowd, uh, the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball. He'd be hard pressed to go forward with the logic there because if he did and somebody did come down and contract it, or the, the other the flip side of that thing, what if nobody shows up? You hold WrestleMania and the building's half full. Again, I think it's highly unlikely, but I see a lot of people talking about it, so I think it's something we should bring up and discuss as well. But, you know, it, we're truly in very insane times right now. If well, you hadn't noticed. 
Well, if you think about it, you know, if if half the people show up for WrestleMania, that's okay. He can take that hit. He can't take the hit of actually missing WrestleMania. Like he can't personally take that, I don't believe. And I don't even oh, think I, I don't even think he'll cancel an XFL game. That's that's how far oh, I, I would agree. go. I agree. I agree. Highly unlikely. But, you know, again, we're just the fact that this thing is getting bleeded out as often and as as direly as we're hearing. You know, you'd think that there were 150,000 cases in every state, and it was just a matter of time before you or your loved ones contracted. You know, online, you can go online and find bottles of Purell selling for $45, boxes of masks for $200. In fact, I think Twitter and Facebook shut down. You're not allowed, you're, you're no longer allowed to, to run ads like that, selling that stuff online. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. And, you know, when we've get, gotten to that point, as unlikely as it is that WrestleMania gets canceled, you know, I think you have to talk about it because there's so many fans talking about it. You know, just as insane as these times are. I mean, truly up is down and down is up and in is out and out is in. I mean, we're we're in the bizarro world. All right, well, let's talk about WrestleMania real quick before before we get finished. First, I want to say that John Cena versus Bray Wyatt is kind of cool because it goes back to six years ago at WrestleMania when Bray Wyatt took on John Cena. And John Cena defeated Bray Wyatt. So they're they're doing this as that's what spun Bray Wyatt out of control and why he's in the mental state that he's in now is because he lost to Cena six years ago. So he's trying to make up for that this year. You know, it's a piss-poor thrown-together story, but it works. You know what I mean? Well, there's history there to it. I mean, you know, they, they can try to, to get – I just think this quick right after – first of all, a champion losing his belt to anybody, to me – Look at the end of, uh, of Rocky One, right? You know, ain't going to be no rematch. Ain't going to be no rematch. And, of course, there's a rematch in Rocky Two. When a, when a champion loses to somebody, especially one is over, and, and against somebody that's not like a quote-unquote full-time performer for the company, a, a star from yesteryear, and I'm not implying old. I'm just because Bill's still in phenomenal shape. I'm, I'm just saying it, it, it's like this guy's not been like a major star running neck-and-neck neck with, with Bray or The Fiend. And, you know, now he loses the belt, and then the champion just turns and walks, okay, well, Brian, you beat me. I'm going to go wrestle this guy over here. You know, I, I, I get what you're saying. I just think from a booking standpoint and from a character building standpoint, it's poor. Okay, so good idea, bad idea. John Cena versus Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. Bad idea. Coming oh. off that loss to, to Bill Goldberg, bad idea. Okay, Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns versus Goldberg, Spear versus Spear at WrestleMania. Good idea, bad idea. Bad idea. Hey, stemming off of what I just said with Bray. You know, you've got an over character that's not yet built, I think, and I would argue, not yet built to the stature we can get him to, and yet we now have his belt, the way the fans did, his belt going over to some other match over here. Spear versus Spear thing, you know, yeah, okay, there's, there's again, a foothold there, but, you know, like, hey, how many of the fans, are, especially young fans, that are watching WrestleMania even know that Bill Goldberg, uh, part of his finish, was the spear. You know, it's just it's not as strong as I would happen, or that I think they could happen. Okay, AJ Styles versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. Good idea, bad idea? Well, look, Undertaker is what he is, right? He's a phenomenon for the WWE. You've already seen him do the, the loss, so there's, there's no real anticipation to that. Me, AJ, because of what he's able to do in the ring, and because uh, Mark is not what he once was. None of us are. So, will he be able to give the kind of match to AJ that 
would showcase AJ style, AJ style in the ring, and I'm not sure it is. I mean, you know, it's an interesting again on paper. It's got an interesting nugget to it because you have this mega star from yesteryear, uh, this WrestleMania phenom, right? Using their their language, going against this kid that I say kids still right because he's still a kid to me. Uh, but you know, you've got a kid that they know can go. And I just don't see, you know, sometimes styles mix and, and sometimes they don't. You know, Rick Steiner and I have been friends for such as I've got my break in the business. For whatever reason, and it's not lack of effort on his part, it's certainly not lack of effort on my part. I've never been able to have a good match with Rick. At least what I would consider a good match. And I think that sort of, I think the fans are going to go into that match with Undertaker and AJ Styles with less than anticipation, not expecting a whole lot of it. I mean, it's basically with Mark, you get what you get, right? I mean, you get the Undertaker, you know, this long history. But after he did the job for Brock at WrestleMania, it sort of doesn't, that that sort of, that hurdle's been already cleared. That's no longer something that holds, you know, the streak going to continue. And we no longer have that. All right, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, WrestleMania, good idea, bad, bad idea. Well, this one has, I think, the most promise of all the matches we've talked about so far. You know, that, that you know, Drew, Big guy, great shape. But, you know, clearly some of the fans see, look with their eyes and can believe that he can stay in the ring with, with a guy like Brock. So I think that one right now has the most interest, at least from where I sit, in all the matches. So that's the only one you're excited for? <laughs> I wouldn't say excited for I'm not excited for WrestleMania. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the selling of the company anymore. I haven't been for some time. But I would say that one would be, you know, or any match that I'd be watching, that one. Did you hear anything about last night at Elimination Chamber? I hadn't, no. Okay, so I can sum it up for you. It's a really, really bad pay-per-view. Um, Daniel Bryan's <laughs> balls fall out of his trunks for about 8 to 10 seconds. Um, He's hardcore. He's hardcore. <laughs> he is hardcore. <laughs> uh, yeah, that happened. Then also we seen this was the tag team Elimination Chamber was pretty good. I will say that the tag team elimination chamber was good, but the elimination chamber for the women, I'm really curious to see what your opinion is because they're trying to build Shayna Baszler and they're trying to build her for Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. Now, pretty much everybody okay. knows Shayna Baszler is going to win this match. It's pretty much common knowledge. If you, if you have ever watched wrestling before in your life, you know that Shayna Baszler is going to win this elimination chamber and be the number one contender. But the way they got there. So when Shanna comes in, when Shayna, Shayna comes in, she absolutely destroys every single woman in the match. She's got about 45 to 50 seconds in the chamber with no opponents waiting on people to come out of the chambers. She destroyed everybody, including Asuka at the end. Complete squash match elimination chamber for Shayna Baszler to be the number one contender to take on Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. What do you think about that? Well, you, you can see what's going on there, right? You can see that somebody has written a storyline, written an idea out, and they're going with the most base level of that storyline. So we need somebody to go against Becky Lynch, the man. get there, we have to get somebody equally over to go against the man. So to do that, the only way we can do that is to have somebody go in there and destroy all the other women. Hey, what does that do to the other women in the ring? For later matches and storylines and angles, back to my, I refer back to my earlier comment about building young stars into draws. But you can, to me, I'd love to know who wrote that out. Like, 
who came, whose concept was that? Whose idea was that? I know whose concept because it was. I know. I, I read an article today about whose concept it was. It was Paul Heyman's idea, and that Vince McMahon is wow. not on Shayna Baszler. He he doesn't uh, he doesn't get the hype, but Paul Heyman does get the hype, and he wrote the Elimination Chamber. From what I understand, I mean, I didn't hear it from him, but I'm just saying. If that's true, I would say Paul has lost a step or two there because you know it's uh, you know it's, again I don't know all the moving parts of the company. Again, full disclosure, you know, as a fan, so I don't watch. Because every time I try, I get pissed off and, you know, cuss up the TV and everything else. So who knows, like, if that's true, who knows what Vince has told Paul, you know, like, hey, you know, or else kind of thing. Um, but look how, look at the way he built Taz, right? Initially, when Taz comes out of the Tasmaniac gimmick, he's a hot knife to the butter. And, you know, that, that went so far. The, the, the difference being that, ECW, he had a, a pretty talented dressing room of guys that were able to step in had Shane Douglas gone down with injury. How many guys could have stepped into that main event spot and filled it? Right now, they're at a very odd place. They have a ton of young talent, very little, few, if any of it, in a position yet to draw. Paul planting his flag with one talent and all these other ones are irrelevant. Not irrelevant, but expendable that we can then move on to the next one. Hell of a gamble because if it pays off, you get a good draw out of it. If it doesn't, you've now got to spend time rebuilding all the ones that she went through. That's true. And I I thought about that when it happened, but you know, Paul had, uh, there's a story similar to this about the elimination chamber and Paul Heyman. Do you remember December to December, the ECW pay-per-view that, that was uh, WWE ECW? Uh, what were the matches on it? Well, I don't know about the rest of the matches. That, I mean, I think Sandman was there, and I think Tommy was there. But the main event was an Elimination Chamber. And his idea for that Elimination Chamber, and I've heard this told uh, told a couple different times from a couple different people, that Paul wanted CM Punk to tap every single person in the chamber out with the Anaconda Vice, including the big show. And he wanted CM Punk to run through everybody in the Elimination Chamber. And somebody was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. And and they pulled it and they didn't do it. But this sounds like the same thing because Shayna Baszler just ran through everybody in brutal fashion, too. I mean, she's really keeping up this cage fighter gimmick up really well. And I think she's going to beat Becky at WrestleMania. And I think they're going to push her until Ronda Rousey comes back. Rousey's going to come back? I think Rousey's going to come back. She's got it in her blood. She she wants to do it now. I mean, I think she's going to come back. And when she comes back, Shayna Baszler versus Ronda Rousey is going to be the biggest women's match we've seen in a long time. Hype-wise. But again, I, 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 I'd be very reticent to to serve up you know all my younger talent in one area of the company. The whole top of the person. roster. The whole top of the roster. Butchered them. Yeah, that's... All of them. But, you know, then again, the flip side of that, I was trying to play devil's advocate to my own comment. You know, it, it, you've been in this place, and again, I don't fault the kids because, you know, they're, they're just going on going with their tools. But you've had all those people in place for how long now? And none of them have, have ascended into that money-drawing position. You know, and again, that goes right back. I'm sort of playing devil's advocate to my devil's advocate, right? You know, because... <laughs> I can see the flip side of it. I, I keep referring back to Nashville when I laid out that storyline in TNA. Followed 
to the letter to the point that they were supposed to start getting pushed, and then they kept getting dropped out. That's on us. That was on us as a company. I not me, but I certainly wasn't voting for it. Us as a management company, as a booking committee, and if we, if if if, if those kids aren't over, as I just pretended that they're not. Uh, then that's all one thing. That's on the writing staff. That's on the people making the decisions in WWE. You know, if, if you're at that place and you've got a big show like WrestleMania coming up and you've got to make some, you know, some flags and decide what you're going to do. I mean, let's face it, Becky's gotten over pretty well. Many of those other girls really stand and match with her as a draw. You know, and, and you know, so it's easy. See, when you get down in the weeds, you can convince yourself that any move you're making is the right move. Like I do in most things in my life. I try to take four or five or 10 or 20 steps back to get the more macro view. And you know, I, I stand with what I said at the outset of this episode that, you know, the WWE has done a damn lousy job of building its young talent and giving them the kind of direction that they would need to be able to, to be built into drawing position, you know, in a, in a business like ours, that is, Pen to paper. If something's not working on the execution side, then you need to go back and look. First of all, if, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate, what I'm saying, and go a step further and say, okay, or a step earlier and say, okay, well, none of those people were, were had the talent to succeed, and not not have them on the roster. They shouldn't have a contract. Now, if you have them under contract, your job is to build them into draws. Now, even though we really need to start talking about Hostile City Showdown 1996, I've got to ask you one more question, and that is, did you see Jake the Snake Roberts come back on AEW and cut a promo on Cody Rhodes? I didn't see it. I saw, uh, I was on YouTube earlier for a very short while when I was looking for the Hostile City Showdown, and I saw, you know, the uh, tab or the window or whatever. I saw the picture of him standing in the ring face-to-face, but didn't have time to click on it. How'd it go? No, we're not even going to talk about it. You've got to watch it. Next week, we'll talk about it. I want to know what you think of the promo. The promo, in my opinion, was freaking incredible, and I'm so happy to see Jake the Snake Roberts on TV. But I want you to watch it and then tell me what you think. Well, look, I, I, I'll definitely watch it. Uh, you know, everybody knows my affinity for Jake and, and what he's able to do on the mic. Uh, I have no doubt it's phenomenal. You know, his first time back on national television and with a new promotion like that, I'm sure that's the kind of thing that Jake had thought through a thousand times and, you know, honed it down to the point. Now, Jake, to me, was always one of the greatest storytellers on the microphone. So now, now I'm excited to watch. Yeah, wait till you hear this promo. He does not disappoint. But, but I will say this. Jake looks fantastic, and that made me happier than anything. Oh, yeah, he looked great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely looked great. Because, I mean, not, not to be the, like the, the, the downer in the episode, but... You know, there was a time when, when especially how many people we had seen dropping around us in the wrestling business, there was a time that I expected someone like Jake to be the next phone call. You know, I've seen so many positive things in the last couple of years. Uh, Two years ago, I saw him go, we won't into his business, but I saw him do something at a show with fans, you know, in front of everybody that would have been unthinkable from Jake, say, 10 years ago. And I, I told him afterwards, I mean, it, it's one of those heartwarming things that you see that really gives you the hope. And I told Jake afterwards, you know, but it, it's, like I said, in that picture I saw, you know, he looked fantastic. You can tell even if you've never watched wrestling, if I just showed you that picture, you could look at that picture and tell just from the picture of him standing face to face in the ring with Cody's microphone in hand. You can tell he's a star. You know, he, he just oozes it. 
And on the microphone, he's always been mesmerizing. 100% agree. And next week, I can't wait to find out what you thought of the promo. But this week, it's time for us to get hostile shitty in here. Are you ready? Hostile shitty. It scratches the, scratches the brain cells. Absolutely. Let's roll. Hostile City Showdown, 1996. This was the third Hostile City Showdown Supercard event put together by ECW. It took place on 420, April 20th, 1996, in the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The show starts out with two tag teams that aren't even on the show beating the shit out of each other. The Eliminators, Saturn and John Cronus, in a huge brawl with the gangsters, New Jack and Mustafa. Why do you think they didn't just add match to the card instead of this uh, fight sequence at the beginning? Well, it, it, it gives you a heart open, right? You know, the, the fans were well aware of you know the level of violence that the, the gangsters could bring, especially in New Jack. They were well versed in what the, uh, the Eliminators were able to do, and so you open a card up, you know, with assholes over tea kettles, you know, and, and that's it's always not that you want to open every show like that because it becomes formulaic, but do it with that level of names in the company, and then to, to, to crack the show with that, it gets everybody to the edge of their seat from the very beginning. All right, our first, ma- All right, our first match of the night is El Puerto Ricano took on Supernova. Now, I'm familiar with Nova, a.k.a. Simon Dean, but El Puerto Ricano, not so much. You got any El Puerto Ricano stories or info on this guy at all? I, I don't. I don't. That's when I saw that thing. You know, it's funny when I go back and I, I review these things because there's things that, that jump out at me that, like, for instance, I saw as I was looking for stuff today, Steve Williams versus uh, Raven. I have zero recollection of Steve ever being an ECW. Really? Don't remember that at all? Not at all. I mean, you know, not, it's just not there. You know, I mean, like, you know, a lot of stuff that's deeply ingrained and tattooed on the brain. But I saw that. I, at first, I thought like, they had it wrong. And I looked at the picture, and, you know, Steve's at ringside sitting on the floor against the railing, and you can clearly see the ECW arena. I have absolutely no recollection of that. All right, same with El Perito Cano. <laughs> Too many chair shots, right? Yeah, yeah. I've had a few in my day. The match ended in a no contest after the Eliminators attacked both men, and then the gangsters attacked. Several wrestlers came to prevent the both both of these teams from fighting. The full-blooded Italians J.T. Smith and Little Guido cut a promo on the Eliminators and the gangsters, which was interrupted by Devon Dudley, who attacked Guido with a steel chair and chased Smith to the back. The bad crew then attacked Ricano. Now, this is until Hack Myers makes the save. The bad crew... That is one generic ass tag team name. Makes me think of the dollar store knockoff wrestling figures where you can buy like Bulk Bogan and Macho Guy Andy Ravage, the mega wrestlers in a tag team for like two bucks. And their arch nemesis would definitely be Jake and Paul the Bad Crew, right? Um, do you have any information on those guys or Hack Myers at all? Yeah, yeah, Hack, I, I, you know, I have, you know, vivid memories of it. He was actually a pretty damn good hand inside the ring. Fortunately, in ECW, it did whether it was Paul not wanting to or just seemed like he never really got traction there. It always plugged him in somewhere and he'd give you a, a good match. But, you know, he said, from my recollection, I don't remember him ever getting any kind of push in ECW. But, it, you know, with what you're describing is going on at that at that uh, show. Paul would do this occasionally where he'd have sort of like the running thread that would go through the show. You know, so like in this, you can see where Paul's going with this, right? There's going to be this constant... You know, or, or at least you don't know what's going to happen or what's going to come to that curtain that. Given the message of complete chaos. Yeah, and from a booking standpoint, again, if you don't do that all the time, uh, you know, you constantly have the fans looking to see if somebody else coming and what else is going to happen and 
you know, it, it, it gives you that whole question mark feel going into a show. You're not quite sure what's going to happen next. Well, something I noticed here was a 21-year-old Joel Gertner as a ring announcer for this event. So this is how he broke into business, huh? Yeah, he came in. Uh, Joel, you know, as we all know now, you, know, you put a microphone in Joel's hands and he's going to take you on a ride and piss you off, make you laugh, make you think. And yeah, he, he started off on those lower rungs, you know, doing that kind of stuff and, you know, would would quickly blossom into something much better in, in the ECW. So our second match of the night, the Pitbulls, Pitbull number one and Pitbull number two, took on the Dudley boys, Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley. The match ended in a no contest after both teams began brawling around the Eagles nest. Then Devon hit the referee with a chair. Then the Pitbulls executed a double-team powerbomb to the referee. There may have not been a winner, but the referee definitely was the loser here. <laughs> yeah, and again, you're going to, going to that same thread. It, you know, it's when you say that, hearing you say it out loud, it, it strikes me as like an ECW to, to get a disqualification or a no contest. You, you have to pretty much almost chop somebody's head off, right? Because in ECW, especially in that arena, you saw all sorts of outlanders fighting all over the arena and barbed wire and falling from the ceiling and all the rest of it and, and got no, no, no contest finish. You know, things still go to a one, two, three, or some kind of a finish. So the Pitbulls were out with Francine, who was dressed like she was up next on the main stage. Man, Francine looked incredible all the time in ECW and always plays her part to the fullest. Why do you think Francine never continued on full-time with any other wrestling company? I think a big part of it was, you know, her personal desire to start a family. You know, Sandy was always wanting to be a mother, and now she has two little kids, a son and a daughter, you know, so... Two, two strikes in the back, and you knock out both, right? You know, you get a son and a daughter. Uh, that was really all Franny ever wanted then, you know? And so that would be my guess as to why she never went to any of the main coverage. I know she went to TNA for a short while, worked with that one woman's group for a short while. And I believe she was in WWE, WWF then, for a brief while. And she had, you know, told me that story, uh, which, you know, I won't, you know, get air her business, but, you know, she had just said it wasn't what she expected it to be. And, and had several conversations with Vince and, and uh, decided that, you know, she would, you know, wrap it up. She can go into much greater detail, but, you know, Franny had been, she, she, you know, she was phenomenal what she did, right? I mean, you know, one of the best, I believe. You know, obviously a little bit partial, but I think that Franny was damn, damn good at what she did. And she had also had the privilege of, from a very young age in the business, you know, getting the chance to, to walk into the ring with, you know, a lot of those, you know, bigger names from the very earliest stages of her career. She was working with the world champion against the level of Terry Funk and Sabu and Dreamer and Taz and, you know, several others. So Franny certainly had the knowledge to convey, you know, that the reason why she never went to stay with a larger company, you'd have to ask her, uh, would never really had gotten into that other than I know that she was very, very keen on being a mother. So up next, we see Taz in the ring waiting on his opponent, which is revealed to be former WCW wrestler Devin Storm. The man looked like Marty Jannetty and Sparkplug Holly had a baby. Taz knocked Storm out of the ring with a belly-to-belly Tazplex, and Storm was counted out as a result. After the match, Taz applauded. Taz mission to Storm to choke him out unconscious. Got any good Devin Storm stories? Uh, not really. I mean, you uh, you keep on pulling these names up here. I've known Devin for some time. I'm a good guy. You know, I'm, I'm trying, like, I, I, like, every time you say these things, uh, again, I couldn't get to the video earlier. I, I went off just the synopsis that, that I could find on, like, a written synopsis. 
were obviously written, most of them from a fan's perspective, but I'm, I'm trying to think in my head, like, what was been all approach to the book and why do that? And it's clear that from that point forward that, you know, to Paul, look, and before, that Paul was really high on building Taz into what Taz ultimately became in ECW. Well, see, I could see two different things here with this match. I could see them definitely putting Taz over, trying to build Taz as this unstoppable monster. But I think that bringing Devin Storm in was just because he had the WCW name with him at that time. I mean, I'm sure yeah. he, he turned him into an ECW guy later on. But this at this yeah. moment, he was like, this is a guy from WCW. Now watch my guy kick his ass. Sure. And that's what it yeah, seemed absolutely. like to me. Absolutely, and then and spot on. You know, I mean, it, you know, and, and the spot holds into this quite often, right? When you get a, a chance to bring people in from those other companies, and, and let's face it, turned around the other way. Had Taz been on a WCW pay per view, they'd have done the exact same thing for a WWF pay per view. It just is what it is, the nature of the business. In the next match, the late Axel Rotten took on Little Guido. JT Smith interfered multiple times on Guido's behalf, but Rotten still managed to hit the Dominator for the win. Axel Rotten was handed a pie from the audience that he used on Little Guido. This is the first or last time we would see a pie from the ECW crowd. <laughs> There's a lot of other things going into those arenas. Uh, one time at a Pittsburgh show, Golden Dome show here in Beaver County, somebody brought an actual car door in, a full car door. The only thing that, and this, again, I give all the total props to, uh, to Ronnie, uh, Atlas Security and Ronnie and all those guys. Now, you have an almost impossible job to do, right? You, you want, we wanted the fans to bring those weapons. A, those fans would then know when they brought those weapons and we used them that it wasn't a balsa wood chair like WCW would use or a rubber bar wire like Vince would use or a rubber sledgehammer. They knew that these were legitimate weapons that were being brought in. But Atlas also had the, you know, the, the, the double-edged sword in him that they didn't want fans to bring in, you know, sharp objects or something that could be, you know, glass, certain glass things that could be used as a weapon or a knife, razor blade, a gun, for God's sake, so things like that. So they had to really, you know, keep their eyes on in the weapons that were brought in. But yeah, I've seen a lot of outlandish things from the buildings and, and used. Now, about the Mac, Guido and, and Axel. Axel's one of those guys, I, I, I've said this before, I, I apologize for you know, just for interviews, but, uh, but you know, I, I always had great respect for Axel's in-ring ability. You know, he's one of those few guys that really understood what storytelling is and you know was willing to really put in the effort. I worked with him one time, and I believe it was Webster, Massachusetts, for the ECW World title. The building was extremely hot, very, very hot, right? You know, it was one of the older buildings about the air conditioning, that sort of thing. And we got into the match, we were really, you know, hitting, hitting on all cylinders. And Axel blew up. You know, he was, he was really winded. And, you know, I still had a few more things I wanted to get into the match uh, to build the match. And, you know, he was begging me to take it home. And at one point, I had him up on the seat and get ready to shoot him. And he, you know, take it home, take it home. And I called a spot and, you know, shot him in. And as I'm shooting him off, he went, oh, goddamn. And so I rushed into the ropes and came off the spot. That was the kind of commitment that Axel would give. And the fact that he could perform on those things that seem to be so lacking today, you know, the storytelling and the selling and, and you know, getting his heat when, when the time was right. Axel was, was one of those guys that I think oftentimes gets looked over. We, you know, go over the pantheon of people that were really good workers in ACW. It was too easy. It's too easy, I think, for the fans to sit there and say, well, Axel was one of those guys that were tape dispatch and you know, barbed wire and all that kind of stuff. Axel could go when he had to and, and, and wanted to. Same thing with Guido, right? You know, for East, most of his ECW runs, 
case of Guido, you know, scratching the chin and, you know, doing the FBI thing and all that. Guido was always one of the guys that could really go. He had extensive amateur background, but also found a way to mix those two together and create a, an entertaining character at the same time that he could go in the ring. So, you know, it's a, a lot of respect to both those guys. Now, after this, we get some tag team action. The Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio took on the Bruise Brothers, Don Bruise and Ron Bruise, also known as Ron and Don Harris. Scorpio delivered a moonsault to a standing Bruise Brother for the win. Now, before getting in the ring, I thought for sure Missy Hyatt and Sandman were going to have sex. I'm not sure if I have ever seen Missy be that sexually forward, and that's really saying something for her. Was this pairing ever a real relationship between these two? Did Sandman and Missy Hyatt ever date? Not that I'm aware of. No, uh, you know they. Uh, I never followed anybody home to the hotel room. Can they? Who, who are you sleeping with tonight? Uh, yeah, you know, but I, right. I never. You know, I always, I always saw those two as more professional. You know, and you know if anything else happens, I'm, I'm unaware of it. They had so much chemistry on this entrance to the ring. It was like crazy. You would think that they were married or something, or maybe not married. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. It just it. Yeah, married maybe fighting on the way to the ring. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, let's talk about Missy for a second. You know, Missy had been around the business for quite some time. She had been married to what I consider to be one of the greatest minds in wrestling, especially that period with Eddie Gilbert. And as such, you know, was always around. Because Eddie was the type of guy when he was sitting around, he didn't just keep things inside and just write them down on a piece of paper. He'd bounce them and ask questions, and there was a lot of chemistry that would go on. So I doubt that Missy picked up a ton in in that division, you know, in, in that department. You know, that she was always around Eddie, and when Eddie was booking, coming up with those ideas. You know, she's the one that came up with Douglas for Shane Douglas. She had a very creative mind when it came to that. I think in large part because of that connection to Eddie. Wonder why Missy Hyatt never went to the WWE. Uh, again, you know, just one of those questions you scratch your head at. You know, it's, uh, you know, was it by this time that, you know, and I'm just thinking out loud, that Vince was thinking to himself, time to find the next generation. You know, plus Missy had had, and whether this had something to do with it or not, I have no idea. But remember, there was a point when Missy either sued WCW was threatening, pretty publicly threatening to sue WCW. They had put a, in the TNN uh, center, uh, you know, downstairs with the restaurants and stuff, or sort of like a mall inside. They had put up a, an advertisement, like, a, you know, one of those kiosk-type stands with a picture of Missy, and the, uh, in the picture, her dress, top, whatever it was, was pulled down, and you'd see quite a bit of, of her, you know, of her breast. I can't remember if she did sue or threatened to sue, but I know she got a settlement out of it. And so that kind of stuff sort of follows you around. You know, the next company that wants to hire you is thinking, oh, they don't want that person because they're sue happy. And again, I don't know that that's what happened, but, I'm, you know, that was pretty well known at that time. So that, that might have had something to do with her not, not going there. Or it might have been a decision on hers to not go there because, you know, the type of cars that they were running. I have no idea. I remember seeing the Bruise Brothers in Smoky Mountain Wrestling when I was a kid. These guys have honestly been all over. Smoky Mountain, WCW, ECW, WWE, TNA, Bruce Brothers, Jacob and Eli Blue, Skull and 8-Ball, the Harris Twins. What's your opinion of these guys? I love I always love their look. You know, the, the fact that they're identical twins. I mean, unless they're standing right next to each other and talking where you can sort of get their different personalities, you'd really be hard-pressed to look at one of them. This one's this one, and that one's that one. You know, the fact that just both big athletic guys you know, always to me, and both like that have Bruiser Brody feel and look. Both have great 
great personalities, great to be around, a lot of fun to be around. But also, to me, like when they were in the ring, they were believable as fuck. You know, you could watch them and really buy into what it was they were selling. And they could go in there and have matches with a guy like Scorpio, who can do so much uh, in the aero department and, and others. And they could also get in there and have a brawling match with, you know, say, as you know, a, uh, a pit bull or an eliminator or a new uh, gang. You know, so they, they really were the guys that could do it all. Next up, Tommy Dreamer took on Brian Lee. Now, the Bruce Brothers interfered in this match, allowing Lee to place a cinder block in Dreamer's groin and nail a steel chair into the block for the win. This was the beginning of this feud that would eventually end in the scaffold match to take place later in the year at High Incident 1996. When you mention Tommy Dreamer, people always think about Raven. But this feud here was definitely a good one for Tommy Dreamer. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Brian Lee, the same thing like I, I just said about the, uh, the Bruce brothers, uh, you know, Ron and Don. You know, Brian had had that miniature run, if you will, in WWE as, or WWF as the, uh, the fake undertaker. And, you know, Brian was another one of those big guys that could go, which is a strong reason why we, you know, put him into the triple threat while he in that interim like between the original concept and then the, the final bam bam Chris Candido and me because uh, Brian could go you know he had those Tommy got over basically from selling you know like at the beginning when he was there you know the wire the sequence suspenders and stuff those Philadelphia fans despised a good looking kid with you know with these suspenders Tommy knew that to get over, he was going to sell his ass off and show the fans the beatings that he would take. And that's really what got him over in the first place. And then beyond that, he kept going down that down that same avenue with Brian that culminated with that scaffold match. The bump off that scaffold match was one that I can still vividly remember watching the dress from my stomach tightening as he took the bump because and the table stacked up, and when Brian fell off the floor, he was being hit by Tommy up on that scaffold. And you could tell like, he was really second-guessing this bump, because this is a hellacious bump. And when he falls off, instead of the tables collapsing like you would expect them to, the table, the way he hit the tables, they started tipping. And, you know, he was a good 25, 30 feet in the air with this app, and, you know, could have easily fucking killed or, you know, crippled or mangled it in that. You know, that, that was the kind of stuff that those fans, that's why I said way back then, that these fans were getting blood hung. They're not going to be satisfied until sooner or later somebody ends up getting killed in, in this arena. You know, and it was that kind of feel that kept ECW, you know, on the on edge. You know, the fans were really eating it up because I think that a lot of them really believed at some point somebody's going to seriously get hurt in that kind of a match where that scaffold, I believe, was a swing scaffold. Like they wanted chains. Yeah. I just really, you know, had you on the edge of your seat the entire time. When the semi-main event, we seen Sabu taking on Rob Van Dam. Sabu hit RVD with a chair and executed a triple jump moonsault for the win. After the match, Sabu extended a handshake to RVD, but RVD refused to shake his hand and walked away. With as incredible the potential of this feud and future matches, why do you think they decided to pair these guys up instead? Well, with, uh, again, no. I can't recall specifically, but I'd be pretty certain that at that point, you know, you've got two incredible talents, and uh, you know they'd had that history of working like tags and stuff together. That they really had nobody to pair them with, and so you're going to put them together, you know, and, and get magic out of it. You know, Rob at that point was still in that uh, how do you put it in, in that genesis of becoming what Rob Van Dam became. Everyone's aware of what he could do physically because you know we've seen it on a night to night basis. But he hadn't yet 
still reached that point that he would very soon gain. And but you were again being so well aware of what he could do, and you're going to put him in the ring with a guy that you like Sabu that you know can do so much. You know that's going on paper. Remember, I told you early this episode I was talking about on paper this looks like shit. You know, talking about the you know, the, the the angles that, that you're talking about going to WrestleMania for WWE. On paper, you look at Sabu and you look at Rob Van Dam. You can, that's got five stars all over, and so that's a really easy way to, to move forward. And, and then just depending on what you do coming out of that i.e. not shaking the hand. Because those fans, by that point, were starting to realize, like, you know, when two, two guys go at it and then shake the hand afterwards in the ECW arena, I don't want to say that's where it started in America, but it was right around that time where that respect thing came afterwards. And so by Roth doing that, in that arena where the fans seen other wrestlers do, to turn his back, you know, to, to, to refuse to shake hands, to those fans, that was a fuck you. You know, from there now, you've got, a, you've got an angle. You got a match you can put on any card, you can headline any card with, and you're going to draw money in large part because of what everybody knew those two guys could do. Well, I guess that's my question, though, is why they didn't do that more often. Like, why didn't we see 10 Rob Van Dam Sabu matches? Why didn't we see a whole whole block of them instead of just a few? Well, the only reason I would think of it, again, I got I, these things are so long ago in my head, and I wasn't necessarily privy to any kind of discussions, my guess would be. If you put those two guys together every night, one of them invariably has to do the job. If you know you keep making Roger the job, that knocks him down a few posts. If you keep making Sabu, knocks him down a few posts. You make that the the caviar, you know that, that you're gonna get to see, but only see here and there. Well, when watching this show back, I couldn't help but notice Hat Guy front and center in the front row like he always was. Did you ever meet Hat Guy? Never really met him. I, look, I, the position I was as the lead heel for the company, I tried to maintain as strict a separation from the fans as possible. Living my gimmick, right? Playing the character. But yeah, you see these guys up all the time. That was when, like, at the earliest days, when the, we started seeing those same guys in the same exact seat. That's where you started getting the inkling that there was something special going on here. Because the way that they put those tickets on sale, there was no assigned seat. You know, it was just like, hey, you know, you're going to get a seat here. You're going you know, to have a general mission ticket. You're going to have a ringside seat, whatever. But seeing that those guys would get there so early, which is why you saw the fans lining up so early, so they could get in there to get those. That's when you know you've got something special because the fans are willing to line up 12 hours early before a, you know, a, a house show or a TV thing at that time. That's when you know you've got something special because for fans to do that, think about it. Think of if, if I said, okay, tomorrow we're going to go stand in line for some 12 hours or longer just to make sure we get the same seats. Most people say, well, I'd like to have the same seat, but I'm, I'm not going to stand in line for 12 hours for it or however long. I'll still be ringside or still be on camera or whatever. That's when you start to know that there's something special going on there. In the main event, Raven defended the ECW World Heavyweight Championship against yourself in the main event. We see Raven come out with the heart attack kid, the Blue Meanie, and Big Stevie Cool, Stevie Richards, doing their best Diesel and Sean impressions. Now, during this, Stevie puts on a catcher's mask. Just so I understand the joke here, they were saying Kevin Nash was Shawn Michaels' catcher, right? <laughs> probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that joke, and I was thinking back like when no, I... No, hold, go ahead. hold on a second. You're implying that ECW would, would would take that kind of a shot? Yeah, I am. <laughs> Damn right we would. <laughs> All right, I'm going to use this time to take a quick break to remind you of our sponsor, 
the official attorney of franchise with Shane Douglas, the one and only best lawyer in the world, Stephen P. New. Since 2001, drug companies dumped a billion opioid pills in West Virginia, causing over 3,000 overdose deaths and thousands of babies born addicted by no fault of their own. I'm attorney Stephen New. If you're the grandparent or guardian of a child born with neonatal abstinence syndrome, call me. I'll help you seek just compensation. Call the law offices of Stephen P. New at 1-844-BAD-PILLS before time runs out. Hello, Rich Quick here with another quick moment in Shane Douglas history. Now the date is 1996 and it's the Hostile City Showdown, baby. Yeah, see, honestly, okay, honestly, I didn't remember this pay-per-view or why we're even talking about it. See, then I watched it. Well, the, the main event, to be more specific, which featured... The franchise Shane Douglas being led to the ring by Kimona Wanaleya. Yes, and the franchise is challenging the ECW champion and HPV, if it were a person, Raven. Yeah, oh, but before the match, there's some business to attend to. I'll spare you the sordid details, but, um, let's see, uh, Raven was dating Beulah. See, but Beulah was cheating on Raven with Tommy Dreamer. See, but then Shane gets the mic to reveal that Beulah has been cheating on Raven and Tommy with Kimona. Well, you can imagine. Beulah gets in the ring, and these two women proceed to vigorously make out, and the crowd is going crazy. And this is all before the match even starts, by the way. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the, um, the match happened. It, it was brutal. Shane got screwed. Raven won. Okay, now back to the good stuff. <laughs> so these two chicks are making out. All right, now Tommy Dreamer get, grabs both girls and says the iconic phrase, I'll take them both. I'm hardcore. Hmm. So that being said, here's what I want you to do. This is going to change your life, people. I want you to incorporate that phrase into your daily life. You know what I mean? No? Okay, here's an example. You're at a restaurant. Waiter comes up and says, super salad. You say, I'll take them both. I'm hardcore. Yeah. Uh, paper or plastic? I'll take them both. I'm hardcore. Yeah. Is this check together or separate? Look, see, the point is uh, that I want you to have fun in your life. Just, just, just take a little moment to have some fun and at best... This is a wonderful way to express in public your love of wrestling. And even better, it is a surefire, guaranteed way to publicly amuse yourself and embarrass your loved ones. All right, you'll do that for me? I know you will. All right, so until next week, this has been Rich Quick with another quick moment in Shane Douglas history. So before the match, you had a secret to reveal to Tommy Dreamer that his girlfriend, Eula McGillicuddy, was not pregnant as she had claimed and was in fact cheating on him. After Dreamer demanded to know who Beulah was cheating on with, with uh, you know, Douglas's valet, which is uh, Kimona, Wanalea yep. revealed it that she 
was the one that uh, that Beulah was cheating with. Now, Dreamer grabbed both women by the hair and declared, I'll take them both, I'm hardcore, and kissed both Beulah and Kimona. Now, I noticed when Tommy picked Beulah up by her hair that she had an interesting scar on her right shoulder. Do you have any idea where that scar came from? Yeah, Tommy used to beat her unmercifully. And <laughs> no, 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 no idea. Man, it, when you check it out, I never noticed it before. It's a pretty crazy-looking scar. It made me want to know what that scar was from, and I was thinking, well, if anyone knows that I know, it would be Shane Douglas, so you don't know, so no big deal. So where does this idea come was from? Fre- was it a fresh scar? No, it wasn't fresh. It was, it was definitely old. Okay. It, it kind of looked, like, yeah. looked like old-school tattoo removal scar. Could be. I, I don't know that, but it could be. I, I have no idea. All right, so where did this idea come from for this lesbian angle that you had going on here? <laughs> that I'm, I'm sure it would come from Paul or Paul and Tommy as a mix. You know, it, it was the kind of stuff that, like in ECW, like the, let's put it this way. At that time with where ECW had been going with its storyline, there wasn't a guy in that dressing room or in the business that you could have said, okay, she's sleeping with Steve Austin. She's sleeping with this person, that person, whoever. That would have gotten a bigger pop in that building than saying that Kamada won the league. That, you know, there's a little uh, carpet trimming going on. You know, and that was so pure ECW at the time that they couldn't possibly do it right. But, you know, that was a, a big chunk of what kept people on the edge of their seat in ECW. So, Kimono Wanalea, that last name has to be a Paul Heyman idea. <laughs> I would think. I remember we were sitting around trying to think of a name for her. You know, the, 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 everybody was using the uh, the James Bond Pussy Delore uh, the, uh, template, like something in that vein. If I'm not mistaken, Raven had a hand in that. As I'm recollecting, I remember Raven throwing ideas around, and and a bunch of us were. Again, I may be wrong on that, but I'm pretty certain it was was, uh, Scotty that came up with that. All right, so this kiss between Beulah and Kimona at Hostel City Showdown aired on the April 30th episode of Hardcore TV, which led to numerous networks, including MSG and the Sunshine Network, dropping the series on the basis that ECW had violated their content standards. Was this viewed as a mistake after that response? No, hell no. I mean, you know, on, on an immediate response, you don't want to lose a network like that. But, you know, look back in the uh, 80s and 90s when Kipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, started ratings for albums, right? You know, suddenly you put an X. This album is rated X. Every kid in America wanted that album. As soon as you start hearing ECW's been dropped because of this tasteless thing they did, every 13, 14, 15-year-old boy in America, plus every true wrestling fan said, holy shit, i got to tune in and see what the hell they're doing next. It's one of those things like in wrestling where you always, you always hear the uh, idiom, or t- turn chicken shit to chicken salad. You know, Paul was brilliant at it. Let- lemonade out of lemon. All right, you're always talking about not to look at the past through present goggles. Can you imagine yep. what would happen in 2020 if networks canceled a show for lesbians kissing? Well, yeah, first of all, you know, the can- cancellation today would be a kiss of death because if one, if one canceled it for a reason like that, nobody would touch it with a 10-foot pole. But also, you know, you have the Me Too movement and all these things that, you know, would make it sound like we were trying to glorify this kind of thing. And all it was was, you know, tasteless perhaps, but it was, none of those girls were forced to do that. Uh, they were all given input and, you know, it just is what it is. Again, or, you know, or, to judge that today. what about LGBTQ? What if LGBTQ came in and said, hey, you can't cancel that show because two lesbians kissed? Well, now, now you start to get in with all the problems, with all the fall- fallibility of 
identity politics, right? If we're going to check certain boxes for something to be proper, or if, if not all those boxes checked improper, who gets to be that thought police? You know, I, me, I'm, I'm a free market guy. Let the market bear it out. If the fans don't like it, they'll stop watching. My guess would be that not that we had a way to gauge our ratings at the time, but I'd be willing to bet $10 to a donut that our ratings, if we could have gauged at the time, probably shot up the week after. Probably so. Now, into the main event match, this was a great matchup between the two of you. Maybe the best Shane Douglas versus Raven match we ever seen. Would you agree with that? I don't know if it was the best we ever had. Scotty and I always had great chemistry. Remember what I said about Rick Steiner earlier? Scotty and I could, you know, not be in a ring together for five years and walk in and have a great match. There's something about our chemistry, the way we play off each, other, each other's character that always flowed well. It was a good chemistry, and we all and we both trusted each other. You know, I knew when I put my body in Scotty's hands, he was going to be safe. And I'm pretty certain he felt the same way. So few people in your career where you have that kind of chemistry with them, Scotty just happened to be one of those guys for me. I, I, and I would be hopefully not be pretentious in saying that I was for him. And there's a good portion of this match that took place in the crowd. What is that like? Are you worried you might hurt someone? Worried someone might hurt you? Or what all goes through your mind in a situation like that when you're completely engulfed in fans and you're trying to work a match? Well, for me, you know, especially as Willie Heal and being, you know, that guy that, you know, the fans love to hate there, that was always a bit tense. But uh, again, we had, I think, by far the best security crew in wrestling history with, with Atlas and Roddy and crew. I was fairly certain that whatever was going to go on around, I couldn't be paying attention to what the fans were doing right next. But I knew those guys had my back. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, lessens your, your, uh, uh, your nervousness about doing it. It allows you to just focus on your opponent and what you're doing. You're obviously cognizant, or hopefully, making sure that there's no kid that can get knocked down. You know, somebody in a wheelchair, or you know, maybe you know, on crutches or something. Uh, you have to be cognizant of those kind of things all the time. Again, you know, looking back from today to then, you'd be a fool to try to do that on a company-wide basis the way ECW took liberties with it, because if one person would get knocked down and you know get scratched and bleed or, you know, get hurt somehow. And I'm like, God, you know, you'd have lawsuits before you'd walk out the door. But that, that was that, you know, special time in wrestling history where we were able to do those things. And, and ECW capitalized on it to maximum effect. Well, at the end of the match, you applied a figure four leg lock on Raven until Stevie Richard distracted the referee, allowing the Bruise Brothers for their third appearance on this show to attack you and allow Raven to hit you with a loaded boot to retain the title. Why so much Bruce Brothers on this show? <laughs> well, I, you know, one thing, Scotty always loved what he called the Dog and Pony Show, Raven's Dog and Pony Show. So if you watch most big matches that Scotty's in, he'll have a, like different waves of Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards and the NW, uh, the, the Blue World BWO, you know, and different people running in and out and, you know, like layers leading up to the finish to help build that finish towards the end. One of them, I don't know which one, hit under the ring, I believe, correct? For that, uh, for that match after their match earlier came out from under the ring, you know, meaning missing the move, the meaning salt. And uh, again, this, this, what Raven would call his all Cognac, this, this layered effect going into the finish that each time you see something like that, you think the finish is coming and it doesn't. Then you see the next one, you think the finish is coming and it doesn't. And the next one and the next one, and the next one, or finally you see the finish. It just gives you a, you know, his way of building towards that climactic finish. All right, so after the match, you cut a promo on your obsession about the World Heavyweight Championship, and this leads to Too Cold Scorpio coming out, declaring his ECW World Television Championship as the most important title in the company, yet this title is missing side plates. 
Why does the TV title not have side plates here? <laughs> Good question. Probably couldn't afford much time. <laughs> it's just crazy this guy's trying to convince you that his title's just as important as the one that you're talking about, but it doesn't have side plates, and it looks kind of silly. It's uh, it's just uh, something I found funny. <laughs> so after you tell Scorpio. ECW, brother. Yeah, that was ECW. After you tell Scorpio that you don't want his half-ass belt with no side plates he turns to leave the ring and you uh you know you do what we all know that you're gonna do and turn on him like a snake and attack scorpio then nail to belly to belly suplex and a pile driver to scorpio on this no side plate ass having title belt now sandman tried to make the rescue but uh you delivered him a second belly to belly suplex after beating them both with sandman's kendo stick now you are wrecking house here you leave them lifeless in the ring as the show ends now before this you were basically a face short-lived with a heel turn at the end of this why were you a face here to begin with and when when you do not seem like well you don't you don't seem like a face in any way in this situation but you apparently are and then also if you were a face why turn you heel after the main event was that just to set up you getting the TV title or what? Well, I think several things going on there. First of all, the, the, the face thing would be because I had just returned from WWF and, you know, it, not long before this and, you know, it sort of set out that I was back for the reason that I say it was the back of the world title. That'd be the, the reason for the face, the heel turn after was the fact that it was on Sandman and Scorpio to get through the, the top baby faces in the company. You have the history between me and uh, Scorpio from the NWA uh, title tournament. Uh, you have Sandman with the Kendo stick coming out there. So it had to be something vicious if they're going to leave two top baby faces like that lay. That's sort of like the exclamation point at the end. It also, as a side nugget to that, is setting the seed to the fans that somebody believes that this belt is pretty important. And, you know, you hear that theme later, you know, with Taz and his SPW belts and all the others. So now you consider this one singular belt that you can have two guys wrestling for. Now you've got several belts on the company that, you know, you plant a seed in the fans' heads and they start to think about it in some number, then we'll begin to believe it. And so now you have, you know, another pretty important belt that, you know, even though Shane Douglas said he didn't want it, the franchise now proceeds to have triple, you know, two of the top baby faces, because, you know, over that. And, you know, so there's a lot of things going on there. That was one of the things that I always found special about Paul's book. It's very hard to have a segment where you have, say, two opponents going in. Typically, if you're just thinking of the generalities of our business, one has to win and one has to lose. That means that one is going to be knocked down a rung or two by the end of that match. You know, not on the same level they came in, regardless of who they are or where they stand on the card. Paul had an amazing knack of, and, you know, I've talked about the great bookers that I've worked for in my career. I think Paul was one of the very few, if not the only one, that could do this, where two opponents would walk in to a match. Both would leave that segment afterwards elevated. In other words, one didn't get knocked down a few rooms because he did the job for the other one. There was one segment I watched from the uh, Madhouse Extreme, and, and I lost, not lost, saying all the Elks uh, Watch in uh, uh, New York City, uh, Queens, where I was wrestling, I think it was Spike Dudley, and then Candido comes in, Sabu comes in, Taz comes in, and there's all this mayhem going on around the, the ring. But at the end of that segment, nobody was knocked down at uh, At the end of it, Spike Dudley was worth more than he did going into it because he shined so well. Uh, Candido came out with heat because of the things that he did. 
taboo fought over because of what he did coming out into it. And then at the end, you have Taz coming out, you know, again, like the explanation point at the end of the sentence. At the end of that segment, with all those different moving parts and so many things going on, every single person that was involved in that segment meant more after that segment than they did before. That's really hard to do from a booking standpoint, and you can see seeds of that with what we just described in the main event in the aftermath with Scorpio and uh, Sandman and the TV title in that match. Well, that about does it for Hostile City Showdown 1996. What is your takeaway from this event, sir? Well, in all the things that I take away when I watch, go back and watch these old shows and read about them or relive them is that, you know, it was rarely, there were times when ACW didn't quite hit the way we expected to, but it was very rare that that happened. You know, typically ECW was able to live up to it. And I, I think a big reason for that, much like Hostel City Showdown 96, was we didn't have a huge corporate entity behind us. We literally, on any given show, could be the end of the company. If we had gone out on any of those big shows or any ECW arena show and shit the bed, you know, really just missed. And we've seen a lot of promotions do it. ECW did it some house shows. We've seen WWF, WWE, WCW, NWA, UWF. We've seen all those companies miss on the shows, not quite live up to what the standard of, of the company was in promotion, not quite live up to the hype of the show or the pay-per-view. ECW, far more times than we than not, lived up to it and left the, those arenas, giving the fans a damn good experience, which is, I think, a big reason why fans to this day chant ECW. It's rare that you hear that. You don't hear, and I've said this a million times, but it's worth repeating. You don't hear fans today chanting NWA, even though NWA had a glorious history. You don't hear them chanting UWF because even though UWF had an incredible run, I always call it the predecessor to ECW. You don't hear the fans chanting WCW or WWF today. Not because they didn't have really glorious high spots in their past. There was something about ECW that was different, and Hostile City Showdown gives you a little snippet of that. A little still captures the attention of the fans and, 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 and the, the loyalty of the fans because we more times than we didn't delivered, and Hostile City Showdown 96 did just that. All right, so I've got something else I want to talk to you about before you run away from me, sir, and that is something that I think that you are going to be excited about. Okay. All right, and you don't I'm not get getting married again, am I? No, you're not. You're not getting married again, but. <laughs> Thank God. Okay, good. Well, we're on the same page there. You're not getting married again. It's all good. But what about you being excited about something to do with wrestling? That is something you'd like to have, right? Yeah. Is there wrestling? Is wrestling involved in this? Wrestling is involved in this, and you're going to be excited about it because March 24th, the dark side of the ring will be coming back to Vice. And I don't know if you got to see last season, but... This season, they're doing an episode about the UWF. Nice. Did you know that already? No, I didn't know about it. But when did it it start back up the season? It starts back up March 24th. They're doing a two-hour episode about Chris Benoit. It'll be the only two-hour episode in the whole season, but it's going to be a two-hour episode, 9 o'clock on March 24th about Chris Benoit. And in this season, we are going to hear, there's going to be a show about New Jack. There's going to be a show about the UWF. There's going to be a show about Owen Hart that Martha Hart is going to talk on. Wow. Yeah. A lot of stuff that we've never seen before. And I don't know if you've seen last season, but last season was amazing. I loved every single episode. And what was cool is like my wife, she's, she tries to be a wrestling fan. She's not really the biggest wrestling fan in the world, but she'll fake it for me. But this really is, 
captured her. She was really into the dark side of the ring. When she heard that they got renewed for a second season, she was actually excited because it's a really cool show. I don't, I, did you Have you ever watched any episodes of it? I've never seen an entire episode, but I, I watched clips of it on YouTube. And, you know, the one interesting thing is I've heard a, a shitload of fans talking about it. You know, so that, that again, that's when you know something, something's going right. Let's face it, especially from wrestling, right? You know, we all lived through it. Fans lived through it watching from outside looking in. You know, there is a dark underbelly to professional wrestling. And it costs quite a few people their lives. So I'm sure they could do multiple seasons on this. I dig into each of those stories. I would hope, and this is the same thing as I'm working on my long novel book about professional wrestling, about my career in professional wrestling. Uh, the reason it keeps taking me time is because, first of all, I don't have a, a, a shitload of time to spend on a day-to-day basis on it. But also, I notice that each time I get into these stories, they sort of digress into the dark side. And I don't want the book to be pessimistic about wrestling. I want the fans to come away with the same awe uh, and love professional wrestling that I've had. And so, you know, the flip side of that would be the dark side of, of, of wrestling, right? You know, they, they, you know yeah, I'll, I'll definitely catch that this year because like, the, the Martha thing is going to be huge. You know, you say, you know, it, it, she's spoken very, very seldom about this uh, in public. And I don't know if that's part of the, her agreement with WWF or not or events, but uh, it'll be very interesting to, to sit and listen to that. And then also interesting to listen to know what they have to say about the whole Benoit thing. Is there any new information come to light uh, after all these years? If so, what is it? I bet a lot of people tune in to catch that. I'll go ahead and give you the full rundown of the list of episodes that's coming out this season. You've got Owen Hart, Chris Benoit, New Jack, David Schultz, Jimmy Snuka, Mm. The Road Warriors, Dino Bravo, The Brawl for It All, and then Herb Abrams. And it's all about the UWF. Interesting. Now, is it? Herb Abrams, that, that, that was a different UWF. Oh, is that a different UWF? Yeah, I believe so. They're, again, I'm just you know, digging to the back of the brain cells here. Uh, yeah, Herb Abrams, I believe, started something uh, up in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I think, that he called the UWF, I believe. Uh, but I don't believe that's the uh, Universal Wrestling Federation that Bill Watts owns. See, I had no I clue who Herb Abrams was. I just heard UWF and was like, oh, this will be awesome. But uh, so now it's a different UWF, uh, but that's, I mean, that's okay too. It's a story I've never heard and I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, it'd be interesting what, they, what they've dug up on that. Yeah, I'm, my guess is for them to do an entire episode, you know, with the, you know, the sort of uh, image that they have out there is that they've done, you know, they uncover some really deep stuff and explosive stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what they've dug up on that. If I'm correct about that being a different UWF. Last season, I know the Von Erichs episode was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. And then. Yeah. Also, the uh, the Gino Hernandez story. I didn't know that story. And when I got that story, yeah. I was like, wow, that was incredible. Like, just certain things you just, you learn. I mean, even the Montreal Screwjob episode, I thoroughly enjoyed. And I didn't think that I could learn anything more about that. But I still did. Uh, it was, uh, Dark Side of the Ring is incredible. And I cannot wait for it to come back on March 24th. So you should definitely watch it so we can talk about it. Yeah, I definitely will. The, yeah, the Gino Hernandez story is, I just recently, in the last year, had, had dug back into that and, you know, learned quite a few things that I was unaware of, uh, you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. I didn't know they were going to do a sixth season soon. And, and again, when I heard all those fans talking about it last year, that was the question. I wonder if they're going to come back for a second season. And if so, what topics they would cover. So, yeah, we've got the rundown. We know last season they had uh, different narrators doing different stories. This season, I believe, now I'm not 100% sure about this, but I believe Chris Jericho narrates all the episodes. Wow. 
brings name value to it, right? Right. Well, I mean, they had McFoley and they had uh, they had Dutch Mantell as well in the last season. Interesting. But now it's time to talk about our future episodes. Instead of talking about other people's future episodes, I've got two episodes to drop right now that we will be doing in the future. The next two episodes, I'm ready to tell you. Are you ready to hear them? Absolutely. All right. Next week, we are doing the name game part two. And I don't know if you got to check out the name game, but if you didn't check out the name game, the name game part two is going to have a whole new list of names. And we are going to hear if they are friends or enemies. And we are going to hear a story or something about each one of these names. And I'm hoping this time I finally got somebody you hate that isn't Ric Flair or Vince McMahon. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm I'm trying here. I'm a loving, loving soul. I, I love everybody. Okay, so the next week after the name game part two, I think that is going to be a really interesting episode because we're going to have one rule on this episode. We are not talking about wrestling at all. You always talk about how no one knows Troy Martin. No one knows Troy Martin. They know Shane Douglas. They know the franchise. They know all the things he's done, but they don't know Troy Martin. And after next week, we are going to change that because all the questions that I'm going to ask you after not next week, but the next week are going to be non-wrestling related questions about you personally. And that is going to be not next week, but the week after that. And I am looking for suggestions for questions. So any of the franchisees want to send in questions to Mr. Douglas about him, not about wrestling, no wrestling talk whatsoever. I'm going to 100% shut out any wrestling talk whatsoever for that show, and it's going to be the non-wrestling episode. Uh, if we do that, then I'd have to kill you afterwards and everybody that listens because nobody can... I don't think Shane Douglas knows Troy Martin that well. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if franchise can talk about that. Uh, We're going to see. It's uh, like my favorite color being chartreuse. Uh, <laughs> like those kind of little nuggets like that. Yeah, that's what I want. I've got all kinds of questions. They're food questions and preference questions and TV show questions and movie questions and all kinds of questions. We're going to learn a lot about you in that episode. Might, might have to even get into like, uh, maybe this will be like a little tagline leading into this. I may even reveal my sexual identity on that episode. How about for more uh, little nugget? <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I'm not sure where you're going with that, but I will, we'll leave it to next week. <laughs> Trust me, it won't be what you think it is. <laughs> oh man. That's, I don't, I I don't even know what to say there. Uh, I guess all I can say is Shane Douglas, take us home. Hey, I want to say a shout out to a special friend I met this week, a guy named Aaron who's from Tennessee, but living in the Beaver County region right now. He's working on the local Shell fracking plant. I know fracking's a bad word. The, the refineries that are building are a huge $5 billion plant they're building down the river. Uh, he was in town. I ran into him around town. And a uh, really cool guy, and I want to welcome him to Beaver County. He's living here now until the plant's done, so just want to welcome him and uh, say thanks for the, for the kind things he said this week. Uh, but you just heard the episode about Hostel City Showdown 96 from the franchise himself, the guy that was one half the main event. Tune in next week, hear the name game, and the week after that, you hear all about Troy Martin. Do that, <laughs> or get your ass franchised. <laughs> What is it going to take to defeat Raven and all those goons behind him? It's the only belt Zoe Styles has speaking in the man that Shawn Michaels was too much to get in the ring with.
This has been a product of Superior Radio Network. At the law office of Stephen New, we take a team approach to your case. Our staff and paralegals are excellent and will assist you through every step of your case. 
we employ world-class experts to make sure that your case is developed to its maximum value. When you seek legal counsel, choose Stephen New and his team. They'll work together to achieve the best results for your case and support you every step of the way. Our clients, why we do what we do, the Law Office of Stephen New.